From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for tuning in to Washington Watch. I'm always grateful when you can join us. Well, coming up, Congress will not be back in D.C. this week. They will return next week. However, a large House delegation led by House Speaker Mike Johnson is headed to the southern border as we speak where illegal migrant encounters hit a record, another record last month of over 300,000. We're having to pull teeth to change policy. This is not irregular migration. That's a bunch of BS. This is a predictable outcome of bad policy choices made right after Biden became president. That was South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham Sunday on Face the Nation. Now, I know that we are constantly hearing these numbers, and after a while it sounds like, you know, the voices of the adults on the old Peanuts cartoons. Nobody hears what they're saying. But let me help put this last, just last month's encounters with illegals into perspective. Just last month, all right, just one month. And these are just those who wanted to be detained. They basically turned themselves in so they could be released. These are... These numbers do not include those who evade capture. They didn't want to get caught. The 300,000 plus that came in last month is the equivalent to the population of Cincinnati, Ohio, Newark, New Jersey, St. Paul, Minnesota, or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What do you do with that many people coming into the country month after month? Well, Alabama Congressman Robert Adderholt is headed to the southern border, but he will join us first in just a moment. And as we enter 2024, a presidential election year, prepare for more shenanigans like that of Maine's Secretary of State, who removed Donald Trump from the state primary ballot. I am mindful that no Secretary of State has ever deprived a presidential candidate of access to the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But I'm also mindful that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection. That was uh, Shinna Bellows last Friday. Amazing. Maine's Secretary of State apparently has some hidden knowledge. I mean, she's now judge and jury deciding on a matter that former President Donald Trump has not even been charged with in a court of law. We'll talk with Jeff Clark, senior fellow and director of litigation for the Center for Renewing America. More information surfacing on how not to handle a pandemic. You attach a zero value to whether this actually totally disrupts people's lives, ruins the economy, and has many kids kept out of school in a way that they never right, quite require. Collateral damage. So there, yeah, collateral damage. This is a public health mindset. And I think a lot of us involved in trying to make those recommendations had that mindset. And that was really unfortunate. That's another mistake we made. That was former White House advisor and National Institutes of Health Director Dr. Francis Collins. Now, despite this admission of not having all the facts or a broader perspective of their recommendations and the impact that they would have, he stopped short of acknowledging acknowledging that it was unwise and counterproductive to silence differing views. We're going to get more from Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of health policy at Stanford University. And last Friday, Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio vetoed the state's SAFE Act that would have protected minors from experimental drugs and surgeries being pushed by trans activists. I cannot sign this bill as is currently written. And just a few minutes ago, I vetoed the bill. 
That was Governor Mike DeWine on Friday. Will there be a legislative effort like the ones that took place in Arkansas and Louisiana that overrode the governor's vetoes? Well, we're going to talk with the bill's lead author in Ohio, Ohio State Representative Gary Click, who also pastors Fremont Baptist Temple, a little later here on Washington Watch. Also, FRC's Dr. Jennifer Bowens, who has testified before several state legislatures on the SAFE Act legislation, will join us to discuss why, why these measures are needed. And also in the news today, embattled Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned not for her failure to address anti-Semitism on Harvard's campus, as she openly admitted. We do not punish or sanction people for expressing such views. But that is a far cry for endorsing them. It's in the exercise of our freedom to speak that we reveal our characters. Hmm. Well, her resignation was uh, due to accusations of plagiarism that all the attention surrounding her dredged up. Oh, well. The the website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. And a little bit later, I'm going to have something new that I'm going to share with you. So stick around. I need your input. Our word for today comes from Genesis 4, where Cain receives a warning from the Lord before Cain kills his brother Abel. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it, end quote. The choices Cain would make were not his parents' fault. He had the same mom and dad as Abel. The choice was his. He could not blame his environment, as important as that may be, nor could he rationalize his sin as the consequence of bad parents, although they did set a poor example. It was his and his alone. This is called self-government. This is what undergirds government at every level. It all begins with self-government, closing the door on the sin of self-desire in our own will and yielding in humble obedience to God. Sin, that is Satan and evil, their desire is for us, but we must take dominion over it. I invite you to join us on our journey through the Bible. Visit frc.org Bible for more information on this exciting, life-changing journey through the Word of God. Last month, as I mentioned, saw a record-shattering number of illegal border crossings with migrant encounters exceeding 300,000 for the month. House Speaker Mike Johnson plans to visit the southwest border tomorrow with a delegation from the House, while security experts continue their warnings that the open border facilitated by the Biden administration's policies provides a soft target for deadly terrorist attacks. Now, with Republicans in both chambers of Congress demanding a border fix in exchange for additional spending to support the war in Ukraine, what will it take to reduce the daily threat facing our country? Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Robert Adderhold, who serves on the House Appropriations Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Alabama, and he is on his way to the southern border as we speak. Congressman, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Well, Tony, it's good to be with you. Yes, and uh, you're exactly right. Uh, I'm actually in the airport now. Uh, I, I, When I got the message to be on your show, I wanted to be here, but uh, it worked out that I'm at the airport. So uh, if it's a little noise in the background, then uh, please forgive me, but that's the reason why. Well, that that's all right. I appreciate you taking time to join us. The The last quarter also set a record. I think we had over, over 780 
1,000 contacts with illegal migrants coming across the border. This is unsustainable. What do you hope will come from this visit uh, from the Republicans to the southern border? Well, I appreciate uh, Speaker Mike Johnson for putting this trip together, really to put pressure on the Democrats to try to move on something. This is something that really I think that is is across the party lines. This is not just a Republican thing or Democrat issue. This is Democrats are hearing from their constituents just as Republicans are. And uh, obviously we want a system where people can come freely into the United States of America. But we want it in a situation where people can come uh, and uh, legally. And that's what we're trying to do here. And unfortunately, the way the border is so uh, porous right now, the Biden administration is not enforcing. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of uh, people coming across the borders. And I think that's probably what we'll see tomorrow. Uh, Of course, obviously, I don't know how much this is being um, publicized. So it may be that uh, a lot of the illegals go to uh, alternative sites tomorrow since there's going to be so much attention there at Eagle Pass, uh, Texas, where we'll be. But I think it will it, we will be see firsthand exactly what is going on. And we're seeing how the uh, um, people from south of the border are coming in. And uh, hopefully this will put some uh, call some media attention to it. And we can try to put some pressure on the Democrats to come together and find some solution. So, Congressman, I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, they're, they're there. We, we see these records month after month, uh, you know, during the four years, almost four years of the Biden administration, constantly setting new records of illegals coming across the border. Isn't this a failure to enforce the law? I mean, aren't we seeing the Biden administration refusing to uphold their constitutional duty? Yeah, well, that's what we're seeing, Tony. But, of course, obviously, there are a lot in the Biden administration that uh, really don't feel strongly about this issue, so they're looking the other way. And uh, it's very unfortunate that uh, we find ourselves in a situation where I, I forgot who said it once, but they said as long as you keep the back door open, you have to keep the front door closed. And the front door is legal immigration. Uh, the back door is coming in illegally. And in order to keep that front door open, you have to shut the back door. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. And that's all we're asking. I mean, I, I, I would be the first to say I have a lot of friends uh, from around the world. And, you know, I'm, uh, I understand that people want to come here to the United States of America. But uh, we're in a situation right now where we have to make sure that the people are coming here are coming for the right reason. When they come here illegally, when they come here through the back door, so to speak, um, you don't know why, why they're coming. Some of them may be coming because of good reasons, and they're just trying to provide for their family. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of folks that also may be coming illegally that are trying to do harm to the United States through drugs, trafficking, and that's what we've got to put a stop to. So we want to make sure the good people, and I, like I say, the people who want to embrace the principles of this country, uh, hard work and trying to make sure that they provide for their family. We welcome with open arms. Right. It's the people that would want to come for nefarious reasons that we want to keep out. But, but you can only regulate that if they're coming through the front door. You can't do that through the through back the door. And, and, and that's exactly what we're seeing tomorrow. Um, Lord's willing, we'll have a chance to see firsthand uh, where some of these back doors are and see what they can, how we can do to try to 
a wall those areas off, so to speak, and maybe it takes literally a wall. And um, obviously, um, if people think that they can come illegally here, they're going to do it. And right. so we've got to, and of course, and that's why I think President Trump was very on, on message when he talked about building the wall. Right. And there's some areas that you literally have to build a wall well, so and, and that you can keep that front door open. But Congress actually passed a law requiring the wall to be built, and they allocated the funds to do that. Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas has not done that. Is this building the momentum for an impeachment of him? Well, they, they're, I'm not on the Homeland Security com, uh, Committee, but my understanding that there has been several attempts to move on that legislation over the past several months. And I think if something's not done, that I think Mike Johnson will very well bring something to the floor. Uh, he is on the Judiciary Committee or was on the Judiciary Committee before he uh, took the reins as Speaker. And so I know there were a lot of, of, of in the works on Judiciary and Homeland Security of impeaching uh, the Secretary. And so I, I very much think that uh, Speaker Johnson will move forward on this if the Biden administration doesn't act responsibly. Well, uh, the chances are they won't start acting responsibly now because they haven't uh, the whole time they've been in office. Yeah. Congressman Robert Adderholt, always great to see you. Safe travels and uh, look forward to getting a report uh, when you all return. I look forward to it, Tony. Thanks for having me on. See you later. All right. Absolutely. Uh, Congressman Robert Adderholt of Alabama. In fact, I, I think we're going to actually have the speaker on later in the week. Uh, giving us a rundown on their journey. Well, coming up, the left's pursuit of Donald Trump has made one thing clear. If they can't win elections at the ballot box, they'll use every other means possible. We'll talk about it next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington. Watch the website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. Be sure and uh, check it out. Last week, actually last Thursday, the state of Maine joined Colorado in attempting to subvert the election process when its Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, barred former President Donald Trump from her state's Republican primary ballot. Now, former President Trump's legal team uh, filed an appeal earlier today Uh, regarding Maine. They're also challenging Colorado before the Supreme Court. But what do these actions expose about the left's willingness to use lawfare to hinder a candidate they fear they cannot beat at the polls? Can our system survive these subversive tactics? Joining me now to discuss this, Jeff Clark, Senior Fellow and Director of Litigation at the Center for Renewing America. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Well, great to be here, Tony. Thanks for having me back, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. It's going to be a, uh, a challenging year full of, um, I wouldn't say surprises, because I think we anticipated some of these. But do you expect to see other states follow suit with Maine and Colorado? I do, Tony. I think that this is all a plan that was plotted out long ago. If you look at the what was the single article of impeachment for the second impeachment against President Trump after he'd left office, making him the first president ever uh, to face an attempt to impeach him and and, uh, bar him from office, which was the only consequence, right, since he was already out of office uh, that ever has happened to an American president. That sole article of impeachment was that he had engaged in an insurrection or given aid or comfort to it, uh, and that failed. Uh, They brought the charge. The House approved it without any hearings. But it failed in the trial in the Senate. And so that's one reason why this whole effort should be done. It's it's an attempt at a second, third, fourth, et cetera, bite at the apple. But this is a plan that very sophisticated people put together uh, years ago now, three years ago or earlier. And we're just seeing it unfold. And we're seeing, you know, ridiculously people like Shenna Bellows, who's not a lawyer, uh, drop a legal opinion that was clearly carefully lawyered. Um, and that's part of the plan, too. And I, I think that uh, the heritage uh, uh, folks are trying to get to the bottom through their oversight project of who actually wrote her decision. And I think the main legislature should try to do the same through oversight. Jeff, isn't this kind of like you, know, you get one of those uh, nice sweaters and you get one of the threads that comes out and you pull it and all of a sudden you find it's unraveling? I mean, doesn't this pose that type of threat to our republic? I mean, if, if you've got 
let, let's let's play this out with Biden. There's a, there's an impeachment inquiry. Let's say let's play this thing out, and they there's plenty there. Let's say they find something. The House impeaches him. Of course, the Senate does nothing with it. Can then Republican state uh, uh, officials begin to remove Biden from the ballot? I you know I do think look that that at some point turnabout has to be fair play. The Democrats have unleashed all of this lawfare. They think that there are not going to be any consequences to be paid for that because they think that they're specially privileged. They think that they control the majority of the state bars. They think that they control uh, many of the key courts that they can run to, especially the courts in D.C. So they don't think that it's going to have symmetrical impacts. And I think that, uh, you know, Congress can push back on that. But so far, it seems to me that their efforts have been uh, anemic. I've turned, uh, uh, coined this term, uh, Tony, called uh, journal lawfare. It's not just lawfare. It's that night after night after night on MSNBC, CNN, in the print lead media of The New York Times and The Washington Post and others, we just see a constant thread of former prosecutors right. who always announce that doom for Trump is coming, right? And it's very carefully allied with the lawfare efforts that folks like Jack Smith are bringing or what's happening in Georgia or what's happening in other states like Maine and Colorado. So, Jeff, let's talk about how we counter that, because let's give a little, little summary here. There were over 50 congressional investigations into Donald Trump, two impeachments, as you made reference to. And guess what they came up with? Nothing. And now you've got all these uh, you know, different ones that are pursuing him. What have they come up with? Nothing. What has he been convicted of? Nothing. Nothing. And so it is an attempt to to defeat him, not in uh, in the at the ballot box, but in the courts and in the media, as you said. So how do we how do conservatives combat this? Well, I think that we need our own uh, set of uh, non-governmental organizations, public interest groups. We have some, but we just don't have anything like the level of energy, the level of funding, and the number of groups that they have on the left. They're the ones that are gestating these things, like, uh, you know, the Brookings Institute with this guy, uh, uh, Norm Eisen, right? He, he's, you know, been called the master of kind of political color revolutions. He had worked on Ukraine. He's imported that into the U.S. They're the ones who are coming up with these theories. We need, actually, if we're going to do turnabout, to actually formulate those institutions. So, you know, to the extent any are watching, you know, we need our billionaires, uh, you know, those who are men of faith, women of faith, uh, and women of, uh, and, and men and women of resources to come forward, our billionaires, and fund a major effort to push back on this so that this uh, genie of lawfare, you know, the Pandora's box that's been opened, uh, can be uh, closed again and, and discarded. You know, it's interesting. The, the left wants to accuse, um, you know, believers, Christians, evangelicals of wanting a theocracy when they're the ones that worship government and they see it as the all in all. It's their power. You know, and, th and that's part of the challenge we have on the right, Jeff, is that we don't see government as the end all. Uh, we have other things to do. We have our families. We have our churches. We have our nonprofit organizations that do humanitarian good. But if we want to keep that freedom, we've got to engage in the political process and we've got to push back on what the left is doing. That's right, Tony. In fact, today, one of my colleagues at the Center for Renewing America sent me an article. You know, one of the things the left really is trying to blow up is this idea of Christian nationalism. And literally in the article, uh, there was a line that really made me laugh. 
that these Christian nationalists are forming a worldwide conspiracy uh, to foist Christianity upon us, right? And I, I you know, I, I laughed because what are we dealing with with the UN? What are we dealing with with the World Economic Forum and these other globalist entities? They're the ones who've engaged in an actual uh, conspiracy, right? I think all that Americans want to do is to be left alone to, to worship and, and uh, direct their lives as they see fit. And that is what is at stake. And that's why we have to be informed and we have to be engaged. Jeff, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate all the work that you guys do. Absolutely. Thank you. And good luck with all of your things, Tony, as well. All right. Uh, Jeff Clark. Um, folks, he said it. You've got to be involved. And, and this is you've got to f- support groups like ours with uh, financial resources. That's why Washington watches here. So you can get information outside the legacy media that is trying to force feed you poison. All right. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us in 2024. All right. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. Also, if you're not receiving the Washington Stand, our our news publication, you can uh, sign up for that as well. Dr. Francis Collins, the former head of the National Institutes of Health and, uh, and a science advisor, even to the current administration, has admitted that he and the others at the NIH made a mistake in not giving any weight to the collateral damage, collateral damage caused by the agency's response to COVID-19, basically admitting they had blinders on. They didn't care what it did to the kids psychologically, didn't care what it did to the economy. They were just wanting to make sure they stopped the spread. Well, 
Collins worked to orchestrate a devastating takedown of the scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration, which said that harmful lockdowns could be avoided. I mean, basically, science is supposed to try all these different things out and listen to competing voices, but they silenced them. But he did not acknowledge that that was a problem. So where do we go from here? Are we going to see the same thing in a future pandemic? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of health policy at Stanford University and one of the authors of the 2020 of the Great Barrington Declaration, which advocated for an alternative approach to the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Bhattacharya, thanks so much for joining us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Now, let me ask you this, because you were probably at the top of the totem pole when it came to those being targeted by the takedown by Dr. Francis Collins, where they attempted to silence you on Twitter and other social media platforms. Are you surprised by his admission that surfaced this week and has gone viral? Uh, no, No pun intended there. I mean, I'd seen it, actually. I think it was an interview from a few months ago, uh, it, and it finally got caught the attention of the public. Uh, you know, it's it's not surprising that he would have some regrets. Anyone that has any amount of intellectual honesty about the uh, the failure of our pandemic response and the devastating harms that it has done to the poor, to the working class, to the vulnerable, would, would say that that was the case. Uh, the issue, then, is what to be done about it now. Uh, and, and, you know, if you re- listen between the lines, what he wants was is basically like he just wants to move on as if nothing really mm-hmm. happened. He doesn't really apologize. Uh, he wants to he wants to pretend like uh, what we what we were proposing at the time was somehow still dangerous. He even says that in that interview. Um, what I'm afraid, Tony, that the situation we find ourselves in is that there's pretty widespread agreement that our pandemic response was an utter failure, but that the people that designed and implemented it, people like Francis Collins, that used their abuse their power to conduct devastating takedowns of scientists that disagree with them, they're giving themselves awards, pats on the back, and they've sort of cemented in place the, the, the kind of uh, the, the, the architecture of the lockdowns that they, that they implemented. And when another pandemic happens, we will do it again. Well, that's exactly right. That's the concern, is that there's no acknowledgement that this was an utter failure by those who were pulling the levers. And so I'm left to believe that we're going to see, despite the mounting evidence, for instance, we're seeing, you know, uh, expansion of different uh, sicknesses and illnesses because we do not have the immunity that should have been built up from COVID and, and other uh, infectious diseases because we had everybody locked down. Despite all of that, there doesn't appear to be anywhere on the horizon a different approach being discussed. I mean, I think it's going to take new leadership because I think if you think about the scope of what the damage that was done by these decisions, countless children who lost their their birthright to an education, especially poor and minority kids. You look at the learning loss numbers, depression at tremendous levels in in young people, uh, cancer diagnoses that were delayed as a result with people dying of cancer that should have been picked up with screening earlier, uh, heart attack rates um, from people that had been uh, that, that, you know, stayed home instead of instead of like going to the doctor when they should have it early in the pandemic because they mm-hmm. were so scared to go go because of COVID and because they were told it was, you know, the they, they countless millions of people who starved as a consequence of the economic dislocation caused by lockdowns. All of those people need a voice. 
and they don't have one in the current uh, sort of leadership. It's going to take real leadership committed to a, a an honest evaluation of what happened during the pandemic, and then a commitment to re reform that that puts in place strong uh, strong protections so that people like Francis Collins do not have the kind of power they have to essentially impose their scientific view uh, in, in a in a sort of dictatorial way without checks and balances. Doctor. Bhattacharya, let me let me ask you this. I know we've talked about this before, but you know sometimes we're hard of hearing. We need to hear these things over and over again. Let, let's talk about the average person. What can they do to make sure this doesn't happen again? You know, I think it is very, very important that every single public official, from dog catcher to the president of the United States, be asked. What would you do in the next pandemic? Would you include a, a broader set of voices? Would you engage in censorship? Would you rely only on uh, high-level science bureaucrats with conflicts of interest? Or would you include a broader set of voices? Would you respect the American First Amendment? Would you, would you uh, sort of put people, healthy people in quarantine without any recourse? Would you close churches? Would you close schools? What would you do during the next pandemic? And then vote accordingly, because if you don't hear a solid commitment to a much better response, one that respects liberties and respects rights, uh, that, that, that actually would have led to a much better uh, health response, then you should just vote for somebody else. Very, very good recommendation. Good suggestion. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to see you. And again, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Look. Each and every one of us have a role to play. So don't, uh, yeah, we got to change the leadership. We've got Congress needs to do some things, but that was really good advice. Just, hey, whoever's running for office, whether it's state legislature, governor, city council, school board, what will you do if another pandemic is thrust upon us? Good question. And you should ask it. Coming up. Mike DeWine, the Republican governor of Ohio, caved to the left and vetoed a bill to protect children in the state last Friday afternoon. Question is, will state lawmakers override his veto? That's our conversa conversation coming up after the break, so don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution 
what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. back to Washington Watch and Happy New Year once again. And by the way, this week, uh, the Family Research Council, we launched another two-year journey through the Bible, just began Monday, yesterday. And so uh, I'd love for you to join us. You can be a part of it. And we've got everything really laid out easy for you. We've got an interactive reading uh, plan, a calendar. The readings are broken down to 10 to 15 minutes a day. And so in in a period of two years, you'll actually have gone all the way through the Bible. And it's chronological, so it makes a lot of sense. And the the testimonies from those who have gone through it over the last two years have just been so encouraging. People, their lives, their marriages, their families have been impacted just by the Word of God. So I invite you to join us. Go to frc.org slash Bible to find out more about our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan. Now, I mentioned earlier I have something new for you, and so here it is. Regular viewers and listeners of Washington Watch have heard me discuss many, many, many times on the program sage cons. All right? How many of you know what a sage con is? A sage con is a... I see Dave in in the control room raising his hand. Very good. He gets a cookie. Spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives. That's what it means. It's, it's people who are engaged culturally and politically because of their faith. Now, throughout 2024, I'll be inviting you to participate in polls and questionnaires to determine if you are a SageCon. And then we'll show you resources that you can use that the Family Research Council has produced for SageCons to help you engage in a way that is honoring to the Lord, consistent with his word. Now, here's this week's poll question, all right? When it comes to the formation of your worldview, how influential is the Bible? All right, you want to take that question, that poll? Text the word poll, that's P-O-L-L, to 67742 to participate. You'll get a link, you'll get the question, and you can answer the question. Again, text the word poll, P-O-L-L, to 67742, and I'll share the results tomorrow. 
All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, last Friday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine caved to pressure from the left and vetoed House Bill 68, Ohio's SAFE Act. That's something we've been working on for years. We helped craft and pass the first one in Arkansas. Now, this simply protects protects minor children from sterilization and mutilation while also preserving girls' sports uh, by, this is what the bill in Ohio did, by requiring athletes to Uh, Athletes in school sports to participate based upon their biological sex. Now, these gender surgeries and drug cocktails for children cause irreversible damage that the medical establishment ignores as it bows, bows in submission to the LGBTQ ideology. Now that Governor DeWine has buckled under this pressure, which is very disappointing because I've known Governor DeWine for probably 20 years, and he's done a lot of good things. But I, I reached out to him and, and was communicating with him about this, but he, he vetoed it. Well, joining me now to discuss this and next steps is the sponsor of House Bill 68, State Representative Gary Click. He represents the 88th District of Ohio. He's also a pastor. Representative Click, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, uh, Tony. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be on and to uh, represent the SAFE Act here in Ohio. And I thank you for being a champion. Uh, You've been with us all the way, and we thank you for that. We're going to get this done. Well, let's talk about that. You've put a lot of effort into this bill to protect children. Uh, You were on the program before talking about it at a critical juncture there in Ohio. Were you surprised by the governor's veto? Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, we never had any assurances. I've been trying to engage the governor for almost three years in this, and, and I just kept getting, well, the governor just wants to protect children, and, and that's all I could get until literally the hour before the Senate was voting on it, and we were about to concur with some of the changes that they made. Uh, that was the first time, and I got drawn into a room with the hospitals and with his staff, and, and I was even willing to give up a couple other things that were not critical but the one thing the governor wanted is he wanted me to allow the puberty blockers. And, and I just had to say, no, I've, I've had to fight that the whole way, uh, every step of the way. And they think only about the sex changes as far as surgically, but they don't think about the sex changes chemically. And that is the crux of this bill. Uh, unless they do that, they don't get to the rest of this. And so we tried to prevent it at the beginning, at the foundation. As you well know, 85 to 95% of the kids will grow out of the gender dysphoria when they go through puberty. But if they put on the puberty blockers, 98% will go on to the opposite sex hormones and then ultimately later to surgery. And that's what we're trying to get ahead of. I mean, ironically, Governor DeWine wants to ban menthol cigarettes to protect adults, but not puberty blockers to protect children. I mean, is this strictly a political decision or, or what? What was behind the governor's rationale here? You know, I, I don't know. I, I had hope the whole way as he was talking to people that he was going to see the logic behind this and what we're trying to do. You know, I had a half hour conversation with him and he asked good questions. And uh, I know some of the doctors that I put him in touch with said that they were being asked some good questions. And I, I just felt like in the end, even though he threatened me with a veto, I felt like he was drinking through a fire hose and that he would get it and then he would, um, they would pass it. Uh, but on my birthday, he called and told me he was going to, happy birthday, I'm going to veto your bill. And uh, I think what got to him is I was reading in the Washington Post that he had a family come and they told him with tears in their eyes that the, that so-called gender-affirming care 
saved their life. And without that, they, they wouldn't have lived. And, you know, we, we had a judge in Hamilton County that said, there's nothing more manipulative than that. Give me what I want or I'll kill myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't make decisions based on that. And that is a self-diagnosis. We know that they have other comorbidities that lead to that. And I think he was just moved in his heart by that, but not in his head to realize that's just a false choice. It is, and that's one that the left uses a lot. Do you want a a live son or a dead daughter? I mean, they, they use that as if there there's only this binary choice. You, you either have to embrace this transgender ideology or you're going to lose your child. There are other ways. Uh, there are other ways to deal with gender dysphoria. Now, I had spoken, uh, Governor Asa, former Governor Asa Hutchinson, Arkansas, and we worked with him and, and he did something very, he did the same thing. At the very end, he vetoed the legislation. Um, governor of, of my home state of Louisiana, of course, a Democrat, he vetoed it. He was overridden. Uh, so was the governor of, of Arkansas. House Bill 68 passed overwhelmingly in both chambers there in the state of Ohio. What will it take to override the governor's veto? Well, I think we're on our way there, Tony, just to be honest with you. I know immediately, you know, and I, I've tried to be diplomatic, but the reality of it is we have to do this. And immediately my, my colleagues, I mean, before he was done with his speech, they were texting me, time to override, time to override. They were ready to drive down that same day to override the governor if they could. Every statewide elected official, except the one Democrat that we have, Sherrod Brown, has all said we want to override this. We support the legislature, override this veto, override it now, override it as soon as you can. Even the presidential candidates have jumped in on this. President Trump, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, they've all called on us to override this. Uh, the other three have not spoken up yet. They really need to. Anyone that wants to be president needs to stand. Tell us where they stand on this issue. Our Senator J.D. Vance is on our side. He even has legislation on the national level that just needs to be taken up so that we can also protect kids in California and some of those crazy places. Uh, so we have the momentum with us on this. I think we're going to get it done, and, and I think we're going to get it done soon. So, Pastor Gary, we've got listeners and viewers in Ohio. What do they need to do? They need to go to OhioHouse.gov, look up who their state representative is and who their senator is, email them, call them, be relentless until we get there. Not just one day, but every day. Call them, email them, let them know, call the speaker, uh, let him know that you want to override this. Uh, He's on our teams at this point. You know, he's supportive of this. Uh, Call, you know, the Senate President's office. Uh, Let everyone know that you want this to be overridden and that you want it overridden now. All right. We're going to put that word out. It's also, folks, it's at uh, contact information at FR, uh, at uh, TonyPerkins.com. Also, uh, FRC's resources there so you can better discuss this issue. Uh, Pastor Gary, I just, again, want to thank you for your leadership there in Ohio. Um, stepping forward as a pastor, and you know you get a lot of criticism just for being a pastor stepping into that arena arena, but we need more of that and and this is an example that i I've told others why pastors need to be in in in, in elected offices at the state level local level is because you when you stand on truth you're not uh, you're not intimidated by those who come against you because you know what truth is and you're willing to stand for it so I want to say thank you. You're welcome, and God bless you, and I thank you for the inspiration that you have been to me throughout my entire ministry. I appreciate that. All right, Pastor Gary, Happy New Year, and we're going to be working with you 
to see you succeed there in the state of Ohio. God bless you. Thank you so much. All right. State Representative Gary Click of Ohio's 88th District. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, here it is. Contact, you heard it, contact your senators and uh, your senator and your state representative if you live in the state of Ohio. And we've made it really easy for you uh, at TonyPerkins.com under episode resources. We've got a a link there uh, where you can just click on it and it'll take you to your elected officials there so you can communicate with them. We also have resources there. This is really good for pastors. I just need to understand this issue better. And you want to have conversations with your neighbors, family, friends, or your congregation, it's right there. A lot of information at TonyPerkins.com. But to give us uh, even more information on this, I'm going to uh, to invite in Dr. Jennifer Bowens, Director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. She has testified before several legislatures on the need for this legislation And she has, uh, prior to her work at the Family Research Council, she worked as a clinician and researcher addressing the effects of psychological trauma. As a researcher, she studied the effects of mass traumatic events like 9-11. Dr. Bowens, welcome back to Washington Watch. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Tony. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. Let me ask you this. Your reaction to uh, the governor's veto last week? Yeah, I mean, I I echo the same thing as uh, Pastor Gary. It's it's really disappointing, um, especially when you know you have so much scientific evidence uh, that's come out at at this stage in in the debate, um, and it's all points towards that gender affirming care is not helpful. It does not prevent kids from committing suicide or attempting to to suicide. In fact, we don't have one single study that uh, we could point to that says, oh yeah, there's there's actually some evidence out here that shows gender-affirming care prevents kids from suicide. I mean, actually, we, we have evidence showing the contrary, that the harms that are done uh, physiologically and psychologically t- through gender affirming care. So this is very disappointing. And as you know, we submitted uh, testimony for this bill to support this bill as well. And so w- we know that the, the governor has a lot of material he could pull from um, from lots of different groups. And I, I believe this was a statement he made uh, last week, is that uh, what you learn is everybody agrees there's a need to be a, uh, there needs to be a process and a focus on mental health. Now, I would agree with that, but that's part of the problem is that they're, they're not allowing them to get the counseling and the mental health aspects of this address. They're just pushing them down this transgender assembly line. Yeah, and one of the things that the the governor's quoted in in several different articles as saying is that, you know, he he wants to go through a rulemaking process so that, um, you know, he can sort of address these pop-up clinics and, um, you know, get kids the right mental health care. Well, that's a, a gross misunderstanding of the state of the mental health care because he's not understanding how institutionalized gender-affirming care has become 
for every licensed practitioner, including uh, many medical professionals. And so to just say, get more counseling is is sending them exactly down the same path as these pop-up clinics. Um, it's a it's a rush job, whether it's a pop-up clinic like Planned Parenthood or if you're going through some kind of uh, counselor. We're, you know, coming from the field, I we've all been trained to um, support gender affirming care. So um, that's that's not the answer. Um, a bill like the SAFE Act is. So, so you're an expert in trauma and its effects on people. Many detransitioners now speak of the trauma of the entire process and the lies told to them. It, just in the few minutes, a few seconds we have left, speak to that. Yeah. Well, when you have a whole system um, telling you to disconnect from who God has made you to be and, and, and disconnect from your your biological innate identity, that is traumatic. And um, we don't even know the full ramifications of this. It is yet to be studied, but there is definitely a trauma when you're supporting a type of dissociative, a body dissociation that's certainly psychological and spiritual as well. We're only creating a bigger problem by Absolutely. allowing this to continue going forward. Dr. Jennifer Bowens, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Happy New Year, Tony. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, for those living in Ohio, you've got your homework. Contact your state representative and your senator and encourage them to support the override of the governor's veto of House Bill 68, the SAFE Act. All right, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, which you can find in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.